0: Uh-huh. Y'all know what time it y'all is. Y'all don't know. Y'all better ask somebody. Right. Hat on, hat on, suit on, suit on. looking like a tap dog Giving them all that dress, like a million bucks. Counting things in its cuffs. Y'all mm-hmm. <laughs> tell me who could it be but Steve Harvey? Oh yes. yeah. And listening to. For Steve. Oh, put your hands
1: together for we to
2: come on uh-huh i sure will good morning everybody you are listening to the voice oh come on dig me now one and only steve harvey man got a radio show <laughs> boy oh boy oh boy i can't even tell you man um i've been doing some thinking and um And one of the things that I wanted to uh, mention today to you as one of the uh, principles of success. Being grateful at all times is difficult to do. Being grateful at all times is very difficult to do. I I, I find that to be true with myself. Now, there are others that might be able to do it, but... uh, just just from talking and listening and, and 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 living and learning, being grateful at all times is difficult to do, but it's necessary because it's 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 such an act of faith in knowing that no matter what's going on, it's going to be all right. And it's hard to see that when things are not going in your favor. when things have turned, so dramatically the other way. And it seems as though you're the only one in the situation where you're involved with other people or someone got an accusation against you falsely or somebody trying to do something to you unjustifiably, whatever the case may be. When it's happening to you, it does appear to you that, oh my goodness, man, this is horribly one-sided. So it is difficult. It is hard to do, to be grateful at all times, but it's so necessary. And I, I just, I just want to point out a couple of things to you. First of all, the difficulty in being grateful in hard times is that, number one, the, the present circumstances oftentimes is just so pressing and so overwhelming that a lot of your energy is devoted to trying to come up with the solution for that. Or trying to muster the strength to weather the storm or trying to just brace yourself to try to get through it. And in doing that, you don't it's hard to be grateful. It's hard to be grateful in pain. And I know it is. But but here is the trick for me. This is what I've had to learn how to do. And I, I, I guess it takes practice to get here. It's not nothing you just start doing right away. You got to practice it in small increments to really get it. What I've always had to say to myself and what I've learned to say to myself is, this is happening to me because God is working me through something. This is happening to me because it's some form of test that I have to pass in order to graduate to the next grade. In that uh, in order to be allowed to move to the next level, this is happening to me because there's something I need to purge my life of my body of my spirit of something's purging in me. And when you purge something, it's it's painful. You know, it's like a person getting off drugs. The withdrawal is agonizing I've I've been told and every documentary I've ever watched it it's an agonizing process to go cold turkey to withdraw to pull away after you've been doing something so long and so I know that this process is tough when you're going through some pain but when you're purging your system when you when you when you're having to pass a test when you're about to make when when you're being made ready for the next level, that moment right in there in realizing that that's what's happening. That's where you find the gratitude. That's where I found the gratitude. I hope I'm explaining this correctly. I'm gonna keep trying until I get it. But that's where you find the gratitude. The the second part of it is, is that God has never left. In all the things I've done, in all the mistakes I've made, all the lies I've told, all the situations I've gotten myself into from being greedy and wanting too much for me at the expense sometimes of other people, not doing it deliberately or in a vindictive way because I've never had that spirit. I'm not a vindictive or mean person. But sometimes in my life, in wanting to do what I wanted to do, I didn't totally weigh out the cause and effect of the other person. I mean, can I just be real with you with that? I mean, how many times we done all done that? Look, it don't make you a bad person. You know, the good people do bad things all the time. I just happen to have come to the realization that unknowingly, and 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 not and not uh with malice intent towards a person i've i've heard people looking at something i wanted to do without really looking at what the cause and effect would be on the other person so in doing some of these things i've created situations for myself but god through his grace and mercy has allowed me to even get beyond that so what I'm saying that God has never left me, in spite of myself, He's always gotten me through. So that's the other part of it too, see, that no matter what you're going through, you've got to understand that God has always gotten you through it. Now, hasn't he? Now it may not be the way you wanted or the way you liked, but guess what? You you can't do wrong and not pay for that now. That that's not how this works. That's never going to be the case. But the great thing about God is he fires warning shots at us all the time. He gives us an opportunity to stop. You know, he don't fully punish us right away every time we do something wrong. Now, does he, you know, eventually you're going to get caught doing whatever it is you're doing. You do understand that, don't you? But the first time that close call, that was a warning shot for you to stop. Look, I know you're not perfect. I know we all sinners down here. So I know you're going to make mistakes one time. I know you was looking at her when you wasn't supposed to. I know you said something to him when you wasn't supposed to. I know you got with her when you know you wasn't supposed to. And I know you got with him when you know you wasn't supposed to. So i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to fire a warning shot. And maybe you'll slow your roll this time. But we keep on, don't see? see? See, that's what happens. See, we just keep on. And then the next thing you know, we get caught. Now, oh, Lord, have mercy. I want out of this. Yeah, well, see. You done dug this hole pretty deep, and he going to get you out. But there's some things that's got to go down now because you didn't pay attention to the warning shot. See, had you stopped the first time you felt bad about it and said you wasn't going to do it no more, the situation wouldn't be as critical. But because we don't stop and we go again, but God always forgives. He always allows us to get back up again. He always gives us mercy. He always gives us his grace. He always does that.
3: You're listening to the Steve Harvey Morning Show.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention please on this very, very special day. Today is a day of a man that we honor on a national holiday. This is the 2020 version martin luther king holiday one of my heroes martin luther king one of the greatest leaders we've ever had in my lifetime happy birthday and we salute you for all you've done Welcome to the Steve Harvey Morning Show, Shirley Strawberry.
1: Well, thank you, Steve. Good morning and happy King Day, everybody. And we will see if there's a delay. Good morning, Carla Farrell. No delay this morning on this King okay. holiday. What's going on, crew? Morning.
2: Thought you might be on time for the holiday. <laughs> <laughs> the two billionth wonder of the world, Junior Boy.
4: Happy King Day, everybody. Happy King Day. It's King. It's King. <laughs>
2: nephew tommy happy king day baby happy (laughs) king day foot soldier
3: paved the way
1: today's a day of service um that's how we celebrate dr king's day a day of service doing something in your community and, and things like that and of course we'll play some highlights of dr king's speeches all of that it's a very special day. It is. Mm-hmm. We fought hard yeah. for this holiday. <laughs> a lot of people fought yeah. hard for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Jordan. yep Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And like you said, Shirley, it's a day of service. But I'm so proud of us. This crew, we give back all the time. Yes, we yes. do community work service work all mm-hmm. the time and it yeah, starts with our leader Steve uh-huh. Harvey and his foundation Woo-hoo.
3: mentoring yes, camp sir.
1: constantly constantly giving back and um we just follow your lead boss follow the lead yeah
2: well you know
0: <laughs> what where would I you be your without you your
1: lapels right now you don't
0: even want to you, yeah. you,
2: you know now, you know how if somebody say something to you you think it's like they want something back?
1: Uh-huh. And yeah. you go, well,
2: <laughs> you know, I, if it wasn't for you guys, I don't uh-huh. know where I would be,
1: hey, which I know work.
2: Shirley wants to say, that's a true statement. Uh-huh. Teamwork makes <laughs> the dream work, baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's all a part of it, yeah. man. I mean, you know, God blesses you to become a blessing. So mm-hmm. it's it's all about that, you know. So, I'm in a good position. I'm happy today. Today is going to be a great day, man. We're going to celebrate, and we're going to just appreciate being alive today. That's a good thing, you know. Mm
1: -hmm. Carry on with what
2: you're doing. Participate how you're going to participate. But at the end of the day, we got to keep praying for peace and move on. Move along. A lot of...
1: And teach your kids. A lot of barbecue pits fired up today. I just want y'all to know. <laughs> it is a, a, a holiday. We can talk, it, Shirley, we can talked I ask you a service. question? As
2: yes. <laughs> Shirley, can I ask you a Christian question? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you pray that he don't be the president no more? Is that Christian? <laughs> I pray. I pray. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to figure that out because I've mentioned I, it to God several times and I just want to know. Sometimes they answer yeah, it. No.
1: we are instructed to pray for our leaders. <laughs> All right, listen. Yeah, um, yeah, I wasn't praying
2: for him, no. <laughs>
1: If you want to have something special to say about Dr. King or find out about his legacy, what his legacy means to you, go to Steve Harvey FM on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, we'll be back to talk more about this fabulous Dr. King holiday right after this.
3: You're listening to the Steve Harvey Morning Show.
1: Right now, here's the drum major instinct speech
2: on the Steve Harvey Morning Show.
5: An instinct. It's a kind of drum major instinct. A desire to be out front a desire to lead the parade, a desire to be first. And it is something that runs a whole gamut of life. And so before we condemn them, let us see that we all have the drum major instinct. We all want to be important, to surpass others, to achieve distinction, to lead... The parade. Alfred Adler, the great uh, psychoanalyst, contends that this is the dominant impulse. Sigmund Freud used to contend that sex was the dominant impulse, and Adler came with a new argument saying that this quest for recognition, this desire for attention, this desire for distinction is the basic impulse the basic drive of human, human life, this drum major instinct. And you know, we begin early to ask life to put us first. Our first cry as a baby was a bid for attention. And all through childhood, the drum major impulse or instinct is a major obsession. Children ask life to grant them first place. They are a little bundle of ego. They have innately the drum major instinct. Now, in adult life, we still have it and we really never get by it. We like to do something good. And, you know, we like to be praised for it. Now, if you don't believe that, you just go on living life and you will discover very soon that you like to be praised. Everybody likes it as a matter of fact. And somehow this warm glow we feel when we are praised or when our name is in print, is something of the vitamin A to our ego. Nobody is unhappy when they are praised, even if they know they don't deserve it, and even if they don't believe it. The only unhappy people about praise is when that praise is going too much towards somebody else. But everybody likes to be praised because of this real drum major Instinct. Do you know that a lot of the race problem grows out of the drum major instinct? A need that some people have to feel superior. A need that some people have to feel that they are first and to feel that their white skin ordained them to be first.
0: Let you explain to me.
5: They have said over and over again, in
0: ways
5: that we see with our own eyes. In fact, not too long ago, a man down in Mississippi said that God was a charter member of the White Citizens Council. And so, God being the charter member means that everybody who's in that has a, a kind of divinity, a kind of superiority, and think of what has happened in history as, of, as a result of this perverted use of the drum mage instinct it has led to the most tragic prejudice, the most tragic expressions of man's inhumanity to man. I mean, not only does this thing go into the racial struggle, it goes into the struggle between nations. And I would submit to you this morning that what is wrong in the world today is that the nations of the world are engaged in a bitter, colossal contest for supremacy. And if something doesn't happen to stop this trend, I'm sorely afraid that we won't be here to talk about Jesus Christ and about God and about brotherhood too many more years. If somebody doesn't bring an end to this suicidal thrust that we see in the world today, none of us are going to be around because somebody's going to make the mistake through our senseless blunderings of dropping a nuclear bomb somewhere, and then another one is going to drop. And don't let anybody fool you. This can happen within a matter of seconds. They have 20 megaton bombs in Russia right now that can destroy a city as big as New York in three seconds with everybody wiped away in every building. And we can do the same thing to Russia and China. But this is why we are drifted and we are drifting there because nations are caught up with the drum major instinct. I must be first. I must be supreme. Our nation must rule the world. And I am sad to say that the nation in which we live is the supreme culprit. And I'm going to continue to say it to America, because I love this country too much to see the drift that it has taken. God didn't call America to do what she's doing in the world now. God didn't call America to engage in a senseless, unjust war as a war in Vietnam. And we are criminals in that war. We have committed more war crimes almost than any nation in the world. And I'm going to continue to say it. And we won't stop it because of our pride and our arrogance as a nation. But God has a way of even putting nations in their place.
2: Everybody, here's a fact of the matter. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, speech, the drum major instinct speech, Uh, It was actually delivered at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, on February 4th, 1968. And throughout all of his years of public service, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. encouraged everybody to participate in community service.
3: You're listening to the Steve Harvey Morning Show.
5: Welcome back to The Ride. We will continue with more of Dr. King's The Drum Major Instinct speech. Nobody is unhappy. When they are praised even if they know they don't deserve it and even if they don't believe it. The only unhappy people about praise is when that praise is going too much towards somebody else. But everybody likes to be praised because of this real drum major instinct. Do you know that a lot of the race problem grows out of the drum major instinct? A need that some people have to feel superior. A need that some people have to feel that they are first and to feel that their white skin ordained them to be first. They have said over and over again in ways that we see With our own eyes, in fact, not too long ago, a man down in Mississippi said that God was a charter member of the White Citizens Council. And so God being the charter member means that everybody who's in that has a a kind of divinity, a kind of superiority. And think of what has happened in history as a result This perverted use of the drum major instinct has led to the most tragic prejudice, the most tragic expressions of man's inhumanity to man. I mean, not only does this thing go into the racial struggle, it goes into the struggle between nations. And I would submit to you this morning that What is wrong in the world today is that the nations of the world are engaged in a bitter, colossal contest for supremacy. And if something doesn't happen to stop this trend, I'm sorely afraid that we won't be here to talk about Jesus Christ and about God and about brotherhood too many more years. If somebody doesn't bring an end to this suicidal thrust that we see in the world today, none of us are going to be around because somebody's going to make the mistake through our senseless blunderings of dropping a nuclear bomb somewhere, and then another one is going to drop, and don't let anybody fool you. This can happen within a matter of seconds. They have 20 megaton bombs in Russia right now that can destroy a city as big as New York in three seconds with everybody wiped away in every building. And we can do the same thing to Russia and China. But this is why we are drifted and we are drifting there because nations are caught up with the drum major instinct. I must be first, I must be supreme. Our nation must rule the world. And I I'm sad to say that the nation in which we live is the supreme culprit. And I'm going to continue to say it to America. Because I love this country too much to see the drift that it has taken. God didn't call America to do what she's doing in the world now. God didn't call America to engage in a senseless, unjust war as a war in Vietnam. And we are criminals in that war. We have committed more war crimes almost than any nation in the world. And I'm going to continue to say it. And we won't stop it because of our pride and our arrogance as a nation. But God has a way of even putting nations in their place. And the God that I worship has a way of saying, Don't play with me. He has a way of saying, as the God of the Old Testament used to say to the Hebrews, don't play with me, Israel. Don't play with me, Babylon. Yes. Be still and know that I'm God. And if you don't stop your reckless course, I'll rise up and break the backbone of your power. Yes. And that can happen to America. Yes. Every now and then I go back and read Gibbon's decline and fall of the Roman Empire. And when I come and look at America, I say to myself, the parallels are frightening. We have perverted the drum mage instinct. Every now and then, I guess we all think realistically about that day when we will be victimized with what is life's final common denominator. That's something... We call death. We all think about it, and every now and then I think about my own death and I think about my own funeral, and I don't think of it in a morbid sense. Every now and then I ask myself, What is it that I would want said? And I leave the word to you this morning. If any of you around, When I have to meet my day, I don't want a long funeral. And if you get somebody to deliver the eulogy, tell them not to talk too long. And every now and then I wonder what I want them to say. Tell them not to mention that I have a Nobel Peace Prize. That isn't important. Tell them not to mention that I have three or four hundred other awards. That's not important. Tell them not to mention where I went to school. I'd like somebody to mention that day that Martin Luther King, Jr. tried to give his life serving others. I'd like for somebody to say that day that Martin Luther King, Jr. tried to love somebody. I want you to say that day that I tried to be right on the wall question. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try to feed the hungry. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try in my life to clothe those who were naked. I want you to say on that day that I did try in my life to visit those who were imprisoned. I want you to say that I tried to love and serve humanity. Yes, if you want to say that I was a drum major, say that I was a drum major for justice say that I was a drum major for peace, I was a drum major for righteousness, and all of the other shallow things will not matter. I won't have any money to leave behind. I won't have the fine and luxurious things of life to leave behind, but I just want to leave a committed life behind. And that's all I want to say. If I can help somebody as I pass along, if I can cheer somebody with a word, of song, if I can show somebody he's traveling wrong, then my living will not be in vain. If I can do my duty as a Christian, if I can bring salvation to a world once wrought, if I can spread the message as the master taught, then my living
3: will not be in vain. We'll be back. You're listening to the Steve Harvey Morning Show.
1: All right, guys, today is King Holiday. Happy King Day, everyone. We are celebrating as we always do on this day. You know what? Let's start with the morning crew and just talk about what the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King means to you. Steve?
2: I mean, simply put, for me, growing up, I mean, he was everything as a young black boy. I wasn't even a teenager yet. I was just a black boy. I learned everything from him from my parents. I remember what happened in the community when he was killed. I remember Miss Blandon making us watch the funeral. She brought a black and white TV up to the school and we watched the mule drawn uh, coffin being pulled up the street in DC. You know, we 10, 11 years old. I mean, we sitting there going, what? They did what? And then I remember all the old black people crying I was just sitting there going, man, why did they do this? Because here's a man, all he ever talked about was, you know, holding hands and sharing and loving. And the speech in 64, I remember that. We had to learn it in school, certain pe- uh, pieces of it in plays. And so when they killed him, I was confused. I did not understand why this man had to die. And then when you hear old black people say stuff like, white people don't want us to have nothing. I mean, and you, you're talking in the sixties. Now a statement like that was a very, very acceptable statement. And older black people just made a statement that white people don't want us to have nothing. And they were devastated. It was the most devastating moment. As a black person, that I remember the community, and then the riots erupted. So you're talking about '68, man. You are talking about I'm 11, mm-hmm. and I'm hearing these things, and I'm and I'm I'm forming decisions, and it caused me to feel for a number of years a certain kind of way about his death, and I was not handling it as what he lived his life for, live in peace and harmony. And, togetherness and love your Mm inner. No, man. I went the other way. Mm, They killed us. They they killed him. They killed our dream. They killed our leader. They don't want us to have nothing. That's a horrible position to put an 11-year-old kid in. I'm watching my mama cry. My father, man, ain't never cried. He was so mad, man. And, And my brother's my brothers was different, man. My brothers was Panthers and Nationalists. And they went to work. They was different. So the, him, his life legacy became more to me later on. But in the beginning, man, it was a devastating thing. And I just thought that it was the end for us. And, uh, but his words resonated that we as a people will get to the mountaintop. Uh, I may not get that there speech. with you. But we, as a mm-hmm. people, will get to the mountaintop. And I started trying to understand what he was talking about then. And he was pulling for black people so hard, man. so hard. Yeah.
1: Those speeches, that's
2: my Steve. Thoughts on Martin Luther King, to me, was the greatest orator,
3: orator. Of, time. Mm-hmm. Yes, of all time.
2: Yes. Orator, yeah. orator.
1: Mm-hmm. I like
2: orator, Shirley.
1: OK, darling. You say what you like. Yeah. I'm just telling you. Junior? <laughs> yes, I think that's right. He's the greatest what? Orator. <laughs> oh. You thought he was gonna oh. be with you? Oh, <laughs> you go flip. You said it right. <laughs>
2: Show you a stupid behind. The
1: no good all right. Shirley was looking at me, oh, She was looking at me.
2: Oh, she had the pressure on you? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Tommy, what was he? Greatest
1: generator of all time. Oh, he's Gosh. so stupid. My man. Here we go. Go to Steve stupid. Harvey FM on Instagram and Facebook and, and let us know what Dr. King's legacy means to you, okay? All right, Steve, time That's now funny. for today's headlines on this King holiday. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Ann Tripp.
4: Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. Yesterday is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day, a day we honor his life and legacy. Had he lived, Dr. King would have been 91 years old this month. There are commemorations to mark the day in cities and towns all over the country. There are even events in other countries, for instance, in England. Uh, they're holding uh, definite uh, ceremonies to honor Dr. King. Security's been ramped up today at the Virginia State Capitol ahead of today's expected gun rights rally. Thousands are planning to hold a huge demonstration in Richmond to protest proposed gun rights restrictions the three white racists were supposed to attend it they're under arrest Virginia Governor Ralph Northam's already declared a state of emergency no weapons will be allowed on the Capitol grounds no one wants another incident like the one we saw in Charlottesville in 2017. Of course, he's referring to the white power rally where a racist purposely plowed his car into a group of counter-demonstrators killing an innocent young woman. The Senate impeachment trial against Donald J. Trump is scheduled to begin tomorrow. Prosecution as well as defense attorneys have already filed their first legal briefs in President Trump's Senate impeachment trial. The briefs are going to serve as previews of the arguments they're going to be making. Today, later today, a Navy aircraft carrier is going to be named after a black American World War II hero, Dory Miller. Back then, blacks were only allowed to serve as kitchen help and servants on ships. Dory Miller was a mess attendant on the battleship West Virginia. But on the morning of December 7th, 1941, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. As the ship drew heavy fire, Miller raced to the deck to assist the ship's fatally wounded commanding officer and to help other officers who were wounded to get under and below decks. He went up to a machine gun he had no training on at all, commandeered it, and shot down enemy planes. Dory Miller was awarded the Navy Cross after there was a hue and cry because the Secretary of the Navy would not even mention his name. But after, after a while, the President stepped in and said, no, this man uh, uh, should be honored. So then Dory Miller was then awarded the Navy Cross, the second highest military decoration, becoming the first African-American to be so honored. After Dory Miller served aboard the Indianapolis, after that on the escort carrier of the Liscombe Bay in 1943, where Miller was killed when the Liscombe Bay was attacked and sank by the Japanese. He was awarded the Purple Heart. Top at the box office is bad boys for life. Bad boys, bad boys. What, what you gonna, gonna do? do? Well, they what made a hundred million dollars. Now back boy, to yeah. the Steve Harvey Morning Show.
3: You're listening to the Steve Harvey Morning Show.
1: All right, we're gonna talk about racism, Steve, the social injustices. This is year 2020. We are in a brand new year, brand new decade. We have all witnessed uh racial incidents. Uh so much of the time, a lot of Americans believe that President Trump has made race relations worse. And that they believe it's more common for people to express racist views now since Trump has become president. What do you think? It's I mean, very
2: simple. Racism exists today because there are those who want things to go back the way they were, who never accepted any form of change, was not in agreement or participation with civil rights, cares nothing about uh, affirmative action, and wants to be in complete control and power. And that is why racism exists. That's why policies exist. That's why uh, voter suppression exists. That's why districting exists. That's why they keep pouring this census and we don't fill them out. And they use that against us. They do everything in their power, the system, to keep racism alive and well. And that's why racism exists, is because there are certain people who will not let the way things were go and subside. And the only way for them to feel superior is to make other people feel inferior. Period.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is true that um, the president, since he's become the president, uh, race relations uh, do seem worse now in America than they've ever been. And I guess what we have to do, you know, we have a right to vote. And we should exercise that right and let him know we do not approve of what he's doing in office. And we do that by voting. And mm-hmm. this is a year that we cast it our vote. It changed
2: as soon as he went in that office. As yeah, soon as he it, went yeah. in The yeah. speech well, climate. The whole climate yeah. changed. It mm-hmm. made people think w- that are in groups that are not for the welfare of all made them feel validated. they felt like one of us is now there and based on some of the statements and policies he was doing banning seven million million i mean seven Uh muslim countries from Mm -hmm. travel all of this type of stuff they like that type of stuff the sad thing in this country is Mm -hmm. 38 to 40 million people who vote are going to vote for him again.
1: Well, Steve, we have to do our job like we always do. And if you don't think you're going to
2: run into or meet one of them 40 million people, yeah. you are sad oh, mistaken. Do it. Oh, yeah. you're going to Yeah, that's oh, right. No. Yeah. You right about that? Trust They're two kids. Schools, mm-hmm. they're at the ball games. Yep. They're right there sitting next to you, yeah. man. Yep, yep. So right that,
1: there. On the flights, oh, all flight. of that. All of that. Oh, they full of first class. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. And that's what, I mean, we have to do what we do (laughs) and just encourage people to get out and vote. We got to vote strong, just like we did when Obama was running. It's the um, only uh, way this
2: has a chance. Mm -hmm. If enough people vote, it can change.
1: Yeah, absolutely it can. All right, when we come back from the break at 32 after the hour, we're going to play President Obama's March on Washington 50th anniversary speech from back in 2013. That's coming up right after this.
3: You're listening to the Steve Harvey Morning Show.
1: Happy King Day, everyone. It's the King holiday where we celebrate uh, the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Now, do you guys remember back in 2013 when President Obama delivered the remarks at the Let Freedom Ring ceremony? Remember? Yes, to- I remember everything It was a Obama. good old day. I remember everything about What'd Obama. Say, <laughs> everything. What'd you say, <laughs> Tommy? Single- um, I remember
2: everything
1: about Obama. Every single...
5: Everything. Every tie, every
1: suit,
2: every golf swing, every beautiful speech. I remember everything yeah. about about
1: Obama, what you want to know? (laughs) Well, I was (laughs) asking, do you remember that speech? It was back in 2013, he did the uh, Let Freedom Ring ceremony to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington at the Lincoln Memorial. Take a listen.
0: On the battlefield of justice, men and women without rank or wealth or title or fame would liberate us all in ways that our children now take for granted as people of all colors and creeds live together and learn together. And walk together and fight alongside one another and love one another and judge one another by the content of our character in this greatest nation on earth. To dismiss the magnitude of this progress, to suggest, as some sometimes do, that little has changed, that dishonors the courage and the sacrifice of those who paid the price to march in those years. Medgar Evers, James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, Michael Schwerner, Martin Luther King, Jr. They did not die in vain. Their victory was great. But we would dishonor those heroes as well to suggest that The work of this nation is somehow complete. The arc of the moral universe may bend towards justice, but it doesn't bend on its own. To secure the gains this country has made requires constant vigilance, not complacency. Whether by challenging those who erect new barriers to the vote we're ensuring that the scales of justice work equally for all and the criminal justice system is not simply a pipeline from underfunded schools to overcrowded jails. It requires vigilance. And we'll suffer the occasional setback. But we will win these fights. This country has changed too much. People of goodwill, regardless of party, are too plentiful for those with ill will to change history's currents. In some ways, though, the securing of civil rights, voting rights, the eradication of legalized discrimination, the very significance of these victories, may have obscured a second goal of the march for the men and women who gathered 50 years ago were not there in search of some abstract idea. They were there seeking jobs as well as justice. Not just the absence of oppression, but the presence of economic opportunity. For what does it profit a man, Dr. King would ask, to sit at an integrated lunch counter if he can't afford the meal? This idea that, that one's liberty is linked to one's livelihood, that the pursuit of happiness requires the dignity of work, the skills to find work, decent pay, some measure of material security. This idea was not new. Lincoln himself understood the Declaration of Independence in such terms as a promise that in due time, the weights should be lifted from the shoulders of all men, and that all should have an equal chance. And Dr. King explained that the goals of African Americans were identical to working people of all races.
3: You're listening to the Steve Harvey Morning Show.
1: On this King Holiday, remember back in 2013, President Obama delivered remarks at the Let Freedom Ring ceremony, uh, which was to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington at the Lincoln Memorial. Boy, Steve, we got to say it. We sure do miss him, don't we? What? (laughs) What you call him, Carlos?
2: That dog they had in there, I miss everybody that was part of that them, <laughs> them, them two beautiful dogs, I miss everybody. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm forever president. I'm forever I miss president. going to the White House because it was the first time <laughs> yes. I ever went and the last, looks like,
0: so. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yes, yeah. Here's some more yes. excerpts yes. from
1: his fabulous speech back in 2013.
0: Then there were those elected officials who found it useful to practice the old politics of division, doing their best to convince middle-class Americans of a great untruth, that government was somehow itself to blame for their growing economic insecurity, that distant bureaucrats were taking their hard-earned dollars to benefit the welfare cheat or the illegal immigrant. And then, if we're honest with ourselves, we'll admit that during the course of 50 years, there were times when some of us claiming to push for change lost our way. The anguish of assassinations, set off self-defeating riots. Legitimate grievances against police brutality tipped into excuse-making for criminal behavior. Racial politics could cut both ways, as the transformative message of unity and brotherhood was drowned out by the language of recrimination. And what had once been a call for equality of opportunity, the chance for all Americans to work hard and get ahead, was too often framed as a mere desire for government support as if we had no agency in our own liberation, as if poverty was an excuse for not raising your child, and the bigotry of others was reason to give up on your sin. All of that history is how progress stalled. That's how hope was diverted. That's how our country remained divided. But the good news is, just as was true in 1963, we now have a choice. We can continue down our current path, in which the gears of this great democracy grind to a halt, and our children accept a life of lower expectations, where politics is a zero-sum game, where few do very well while struggling families of every race fight over a shrinking economic pie That's one path. Or we can have the courage to change. The March on Washington teaches us that we are not trapped by the mistakes of history, that we are masters of our fate. But it also teaches us that the promise of this nation will only be kept when we work together. We'll have to reignite the embers of empathy and fellow feeling, the coalition of conscience that found expression in this place 50 years ago. And I believe that spirit is there, that truth force inside each of us. I see it when a white mother recognizes her own daughter in the face of a poor black child. I see it when the black youth thinks of his own grandfather in the dignified steps of an elderly white man. It's there when the native-born, recognizing that striving spirit of the new immigrant, when the interracial couple connects the pain of a gay couple who are discriminated against and understands it as their own. That's where courage comes from when we turn not from each other or on each other, but towards one another, and we find that we do not walk alone. That's where courage comes from. And with that courage, we can stand together for good jobs and just wages. With that courage, we can stand together for the right to health care in the richest nation on Earth for every person. With that courage, we can stand together for the right of every child from the corners of Anacostia to the hills of Appalachia to get an education that stirs the mind and captures the spirit and prepares them for the world that awaits them. With that courage, we can feed the hungry and house the homeless and transform bleak wastelands of poverty into fields of commerce and promise. America, I know the road will be long, but I know we can get there. Yes, we will stumble, but I know we'll get back up. That's how a movement happens. That's how history bends. That's how when somebody is faint of heart, somebody else brings them along and says, come on, we're marching. There's a reason why so many who marched that day, and in the days to come were young, For the young are unconstrained by habits of fear, unconstrained by the conventions of what is. They dare to dream differently, to imagine something better. And I am convinced that same imagination, the same hunger of purpose, stirs in this generation. We might not face the same dangers of 1963, Fierce urgency of now remains. We may never duplicate the swelling crowds and dazzling procession of that day so long ago. No one can match King's brilliance but the same flame that lit the heart of all who are willing to take a first step for justice. I know that flame remains. That tireless teacher who gets to class early and stays late and dips into her own pocket to buy supplies because she believes that every child is her charge, she's marching. That successful businessman who doesn't have to but pays his workers a fair wage and then offers a shot to a man, maybe an ex-con, who's down on his luck, he's marching. The mother who pours her love into her daughter so that she grows up with the confidence to walk through the same doors as anybody's son, she's marching. The father who realizes the most important job he'll ever have is raising his boy right, even if he didn't have a father, especially if he didn't have a father at home, he's marching. The battle-scarred veterans who devote themselves not only to helping their fellow warriors stand again and walk again and run again, but to keep serving their country when they come home, they are marching. Everyone who realizes what those glorious patriots knew on that day, the change does not come from Washington, but to Washington. The change has always been built on our willingness, we, the people, to take on the mantle of citizenship. You are marching. And that's the lesson of our past. That's the promise of tomorrow. That in the face of impossible odds, people who love their country can change it. And when millions of Americans of every race and every region, every faith and every station, can join together in a spirit of brotherhood, then those mountains will be made low, and those rough places will be made plain, and those crooked places now towards grace and we will vindicate the faith of those who sacrifice so much and live up to the true meaning of our creed as one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all.
3: We'll be back. You're listening to the Steve Harvey Morning Show.
2: Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said that life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? Coming up, we got some excerpts from Dr. King's I've Been to the Mountaintop speech.
5: Let us rise up tonight with a greater readiness in these powerful days, these days of challenge to make America what it ought to be. We have an opportunity to make America a better nation. And I want to thank God once more for allowing me to be here with you. You know, several years ago, I was in New York City autographing the first book that I had written. And while sitting there autographing books, a demented black woman came up. The only question I heard from her was, are you Martin Luther King? And I was looking down writing and I said, yes. The next minute I felt something beating on my chest. Before I knew it, I had been stabbed by this demented woman. I was rushed to Harlem Hospital It was a dark Saturday afternoon. That blade had gone through and the x-rays revealed that the tip of the blade was on the edge of my aorta, the main artery. And once that's punctured, you're drowned in your own blood. That's the end of you. It came out in the New York Times the next morning that if I had merely sneezed, I would have died. Well, about four days later, they allowed me, after the operation, after my chest had been opened and the blade had been taken out, to move around in the wheelchair in the hospital. They allowed me to read some of the mail that came in, and from all over the states and the world, kind letters came in. I read a few, but one of them I will never forget. I had received one from the president and the vice president. i have forgotten what those telegrams said. I'd received a visit and a letter from the governor of New York, but I'd forgotten what that letter said. But there was another letter that came from a little girl, a young girl, who was a student at the White Plains High School. And I looked at that letter, and I'll never forget it. It said simply, dear Dr. King, I am a ninth grade student at the White Plains High School. She said, while it should not matter, I would like to mention that I'm a white girl. I read in the paper of your misfortune and of your suffering, and I read that if you had sneezed, you would have died. I'm simply writing you to say that I'm so happy that you didn't sneeze. And I want to say tonight, I want to say tonight that I too am happy that I didn't sneeze because if I had sneezed. I wouldn't have been around here in 1960 when students all over the South started sitting in at lunch counters. And I knew that as they were sitting in, they were really standing up for the best in the American dream and taking the whole nation back to those great wells of democracy, which were dug deep by the founding fathers in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution if I had sneezed. I wouldn't have been around here in 1961 when we decided to take a ride for freedom and end its segregation in interstate travel. If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been around here in 1962. The Negroes in all Bennett, Georgia, decided to straighten their backs up. And whenever men and women straighten their backs up, they are going somewhere because a man can't ride your back unless it is bent. If I had sneezed, If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been here in 1963. The black people of Birmingham, Alabama aroused the conscience of this nation and brought into being the Civil Rights Bill. If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have had a chance later that year in August to try to tell America about a dream that I had had. If I had sneezed. I wouldn't have been down in Selma, Alabama, to see the great movement there if I had sneezed. I wouldn't have been in Memphis to see a community rally around those brothers and sisters who are suffering. I'm so happy that I didn't sneeze. And they were telling me, now it doesn't matter now. It really doesn't matter what happens now. I left Atlanta this morning, and as we got started on the plane, that was six of us. The pilot said over the public address system, we are sorry for the delay, but we have Dr. Martin Luther King on the plane, and to be sure that all of the bags were checked, and to be sure that nothing would be wrong on the plane, we had to check out everything carefully, and we've had the plane protected and guarded all night. And then I got into Memphis, and some began to say the threats. i talk about the threats that were out. What would happen to me from some of our sick white brothers. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. (laughs) But I want you to know the night that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any
3: man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. You're listening to the Steve Harvey Morning Show. Coming up, we're going to play some excerpts
2: from Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech.
5: I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. Five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today the Negro still is not free. One hundred years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. One hundred years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. One hundred years later... Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. And so we've come here today to dramatize a shameful condition. In a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic Now is the time to rise from the dark and desolate valley of segregation to the sunlit path of racial justice. Now is the time. Yeah. <laughs> from the quicksand of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood, now is the time. Yeah. Make justice a reality for all of God's children. It would be fatal for the nation to overlook the urgency of the moment. This sweltering summit of the Negro's legitimate discontent will not pass until that is an invigorating autumn of freedom and equality. 1963 is not an end, but a beginning. Those who hope that the Negro needed to blow off steam and will now be content, will have a rude awakening if the nation returns to business as usual. There will be neither rest nor tranquility in America until the Negro is granted his citizenship rights. The whirlwinds of revolt will continue to shake the foundations of our nation until the bright day of justice emerges but that is something that i must say to my people who stand on the warm threshold which leads into the palace of justice in the process of gaining our rightful place we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred
3: You're listening to the Steve Harvey Morning Show.
2: Right now, as promised, uh, we're going to play some of Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech, which he delivered on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial back in
5: 1963. One day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that. Let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring. And when this happens, when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state, In every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last.
1: Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. We'll be back.
3: You're listening to the Steve Harvey Morning Show.
1: All right. So, Steve, on this King holiday, you know, earlier we were talking about race relations in America and uh, listen to this. More than 150 years after the 13th Amendment abolished slavery in the U.S., most U.S. adults say the legacy of slavery continues to have an impact on the position of black people in American society today. More than four in ten say the country hasn't made enough progress toward racial equality. And there is some skepticism, particularly among blacks, that black people will ever have equal rights with whites, according to a new Pew Research Center, uh, Pew Research Survey Center. So I'm in agreement with that, (laughs) really and truly. I mean, you know, it it hasn't um, made enough progress.
2: Yeah, it hasn't. But this can be changed. This can be changed, but it will require a massive effort on our part. We have to get judges elected. We have to have to get mayors elected, governors, senators, congressmen elected. We have to change. It it can't be people who don't get you making decisions about you,
3: Hmm.
2: even in the court system. And so we are so unjustly and and over the top uh, centers compared to anybody else that it's ridiculous. And why is that? Because of the preconceived connotations that people hold about us. We have to change all of this. But it's going to take a massive effort on our part to rid ourselves of those people. Now there will always be people, always. We are never going to get rid of opposition. That will never happen. That's that's a world that that we that we set up to end a long time ago. All the way back to Adam and Eve, that ended. That world got thrown out the window. So it'll be with us, but we can do something about it. We Broke. have to create more and more and more successful people who are black, green, brown, yellow, red. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: It that's has right, to Steve.
2: be more. And when you do that, you can bring about change,
3: and period. And you have to vote. <laughs>
2: and it can, you can start with yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can get mm-hmm. yourself That's to the is. highest level you can possibly achieve for you. Not saying everybody got to go out and become millionaires or stars or nothing like that. No. But everybody has to get out here and be productive citizens. Everybody has to get out of here and live as righteous a life as we can. And everybody got to get out here and vote. If you do that, Mm -hmm. man, we could change so many things. Yep. My opinion. My opinion. Black, brown, yellow, what my uncle said, not orange. I had say okay. <laughs> Also.
1: Okay. Okay. I'm only one home. <laughs> More statistics say that <laughs> about 6 in 10 African Americans say black people are treated less fairly than whites in hiring, pay, and promotions, shopping in stores or dining in restaurants when voting in That's elections. A fact. Yeah. yeah. And when seeking medical treatment as well. Uh, oh, I could mm-hmm. tell you about that. Tell us, Junior. Oh, yeah. by taking medical? Uh, mm-hmm. I get treated differently in the emergency
5: room. Oh, no, they'll sit there and let me sit in there and wait with a single cell crisis. I get, I sit there maybe an hour before somebody come
1: in and say, okay, we'll see you now. Then they're going to determine whether I'm wow. faking. They think you're faking? Oh, yeah. Why do they think, called, think you're faking? How do, you, how do you fake that? I don't know. But that's their mindset.
2: Oh,
5: he don't want nothing but some drugs. That's what he's in here. He a drug <gasps> oh. seeker.
2: Oh, that's the thought process. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah.
1: See? Yeah.
0: See, that's I, that's what he's doing. Then my saying. blood work comes back, and they come back yeah. with a
1: different statement. Oh, well, he's not playing. Wow, Junior! I yeah. didn't know that. See, that's like somebody. the people. That's like the people in first class. So, what do you do? What the hell do you do? Right. <laughs> what do yeah. you do? In the same mm. survey, uh, white people tend to say that black people and white people are treated about equally. Very small shares say white people are treated less fairly than black people. What?
2: They say white people are treated less fairly.
1: Uh huh. A small percentage say that white people are treated less fairly.
2: Where is it? That small percentage. Mm. I have some people they could ride with. Just for six hours. Mm. Six hours. (laughs) I got some people you could ride with for six hours, and I want you to
1: see how they're treated. Yeah. All right, we'll be back with more of the Steve Harvey Morning Show right after this.
3: You're listening to the Steve Harvey Morning Show.
1: As the bells toll, we commit to a life of service because Dr. King, one of my favorite quotes from him, is not everybody can be famous but everybody can be great because greatness is determined by service. King holiday is what are you doing to serve others? Uh, Steve, of course, you and your wife, Marjorie, always give back your foundation, the Steve and Marjorie Harvey Foundation. Uh, Most recently, this past holiday season, your family gave away lots and lots and lots of toys to a whole bunch of families in uh, Africa. We saw that on uh, social media, of course.
2: I mean, you know, look, it's it's a way of life, you know. It's a part of it. If you don't do it, I, I don't know how I could justify my existence. I really don't, you know. But at the same time, if you're not fortunate enough to help anybody right now, your, your goal should be to just be able to get yourself in a position where maybe the following year you'll be able to do something you know prayer changes things people's lives turn around people get it together you never know the light switch comes on it's encouraging for everybody to understand so i don't want it to be like how much we do i'm so fortunate that god blesses us to be able to do something that's that's the real yeah, gift right, right. there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that i am able Amen, to help mm-hmm. somebody mm-hmm. else and, and i praise god it, for that and and want everybody else to just keep the faith because it can flip around for you.
1: It can happen mm. to you. That's right. That's right. Again, happy King Day. This is the day we celebrate the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.
3: You're listening to the Steve Harvey Morning Show.
1: Happy King Day, everyone! It's the King Holiday, where we celebrate uh, the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Now, do you guys remember back in 2013 when President Obama delivered the remarks at the Let Freedom Ring ceremony? Remember? Yes, to I remember everything. It was a Obama. good old day. Remember
5: everything about. What'd you say,
1: Tommy? Everything.
5: I remember everything about Obama. Say, <laughs> everything. Everything about every Obama. single. <laughs> everything. <laughs> every tie. Every suit. Every golf swing. Every, every
2: beautiful speech. I remember everything. Yes. About Obama. What you want to know?
1: <laughs> well, I was I asking, do you remember that speech? It was back in 2013. He did the Let Freedom Ring ceremony to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington at the Lincoln Memorial. Take a listen.
0: On the battlefield of justice, men and women without rank or wealth or title or fame would liberate us all in ways that our children now take for granted as people of all colors and creeds live together and learn together. And walk together and fight alongside one another and love one another and judge one another by the content of our character in this greatest nation on earth. To dismiss the magnitude of this progress, to suggest, as some sometimes do, that little has changed, that dishonors the courage and the sacrifice of those who paid the price to march in those years. Medgar Evers, James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, Michael Schwerner, Martin Luther King, Jr. They did not die in vain. Their victory was great, but we would dishonor those heroes as well to suggest that The work of this nation is somehow complete. The arc of the moral universe may bend towards justice, but it doesn't bend on its own. To secure the gains this country has made requires constant vigilance, not complacency. Whether by challenging those who erect new barriers to the vote, we're ensuring that the scales of justice work equally for all, and the criminal justice system is not simply a pipeline from underfunded schools to overcrowded jails. It requires vigilance.
1: You're listening to the Steve Harvey Morning Show. All right, Steve, we all know we've talked about it in the show, and we talk about it quite often. The divide that is in this country Uh, of course we need reform we need healing we need lots of things and uh, one of the ways we can do that is by casting our vote amongst other things you know dr. King once said the time is always right to do what is right I love that quote Mm -hmm. so as we celebrate dr. King day today his life and his legacy make this day a day of service and make a difference in your community
2: Steve yeah, you know, um, <laughs> you know <it's>, I've been, <laughs> had so many of these Martin Luther King days and had so many days of memories, you know, because like for me, like I said earlier, this happened in 68. So, and I've dealt with it on several different levels. And for many years, it was just this time of the year was a very angry time for me, you know, because they killed a hero of ours. and And how could they? and uh, there was no remorse for it and there was no justifying who really did it and so forth and so on but as I got older I came to understand what Martin Luther King was really about and what he was trying to get us to see and how his life was taken at such an early age but it had such an impact on the world uh, globally and and, you know you, you know look not just nationally so I mean, as as I look at it now, I understand what he was trying to do. And he was one of the great leaders of our time. And I just, um, I don't know if this is acceptable to say, but I just don't think that we've had a leader of that magnitude since him, not for our community. We've had people who've made um, contributions, of course, you know, Obama made a contribution, major contribution by coming to president. You know, there were people who, yeah, Al Sharpton has made contributions. You know, uh, it's it's been a people I don't want to get into name cause I wanna I think I'm trying to just single only people out. But just off the top of that, people have made contributions, you know. I think it's important for us all to realize that all of us can make a contribution. You don't have to be famous or rich to make a contribution. Because Martin Luther King was not a rich man. Gandhi was not a rich man. Mother Teresa was not a rich woman. But the contribution that they made, and I think that's a message for all of us, that no matter who you are and where you are in life, you can make, you can make a contribution. You can affect one child's life. Every woman that sees a girl going astray, if you pulled her to the side and just said, hey, look, I'd like to invite you to my home just to share with you some things, because you look like you're going to be a fine young lady. Sometimes young girls have never heard that, and so you see them doing the wrong thing, and maybe you can pull them to the side and be encouraging. Same thing with boys. Young man, let me talk to you. Where are you headed in life? You look like you got something on the ball. What's going on with you? It don't always work, but I've seen it work time and time and time again, and all of us as individuals can make a contribution to this thing. We can live our lives where we affect the life. If you don't have the money to have a mentoring camp or bring hundreds of boys down there, it's fine. Can't you have one boy over? Just one. Can't you take one boy to the park? Just one. Can't you go down to Boys and Girls Club and adopt, become a big brother to one boy, one girl? That's all it takes, man. And on the last thing i like to say is just to fathers. Ah, this probably ain't the tone for Martin Luther King Day, but if every father would be a daddy, we wouldn't have to have mentoring camps at all. So fathers, just take some time out. Contact your child. If you ain't been present, apologize. Women, stop holding, for those of you that's doing this, stop holding the children as pawns in the relationship. If you don't pay this money, you ain't seeing the baby. Look, I know men who have been embarrassed by that to the hundreds and thousands. I was in that position one time in my life where I was embarrassed why I couldn't take care of my family. But I asked God to help me, to pick me up and get me on my feet where I could be what I was supposed to be. But I was very fortunate in that I didn't have and ex, uh, my first wife who held the children as pawns. She was always a great mother in that regard, saying look, whatever you need to do, get yourself together, see these kids. Okay, cool. So I got myself together and I had a chance to. But if you are a woman that's using kids as pawns, stop doing that. Let this man see them childs. Cause it ain't the money the child is looking for. It's the companionship. It's the love, it's the feeling of being able to say, I talked to my daddy. This is a picture of me and my daddy. Do you know what that does for a young girl in her life? Do you have any idea what that does for a young boy? That individual step right there from every single man in this country who is a father, and you cannot replace your old family with a new family and treat them right and forget about the old family. Because guess what? That's not the trade off that God allows. So even in that way, we can all make a contribution on this holiday. We can all make contribution by mentoring, becoming a big brother, a little sister to somebody. We can all make a contribution by sitting down and dis- and talking with the enemy. I'm telling you, man, you cannot have peace without talking with the enemy. So get that notion out your head. I don't talk with the enemy. It's the only way to solve problems. So sometimes you got to sit down with the person you don't really agree with to see if you can come to some form of agreement. Those are my closing remarks today. I just did that because I finally learned what Martin Luther King really meant. I stopped being mad about him getting killed. Well, I'm still mad, but let it go. Those my closing remarks. <laughs> Y'all have a great weekend. Steve Harvey out. Bye. (laughs) It's Monday. It's Monday. We just got
5: to work. Great
2: weekend. Bye.